Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We have seen, Jeff, over – you've still got your Tom Brady. You've still got your Drew Brees. You've still got your Ben Roethlisberger. You've still got your Phillip Rivers. You've still got your Aaron Rodgers. You've still got some of these veteran guys as well. But when you look at the youth at the quarterback spot and what seems to be the talent on some of these teams, whether or not you're talking about Carson Wentz or Deshaun Watson or Jimmy Garoppolo, and then, of course, just the rookies who – I don't know about you, but one thing that has definitely kept me more tethered to the preseason, even when I haven't been able to watch the games, paying attention to the stats more than usual, is just the quantity of rookie quarterbacks that we have to keep an eye on because you don't usually get five in the first round. Now you've got guys and you really are curious to see who is as advertised, Right. who might be a little bit behind schedule, and who looks like they could be ahead of schedule. And we saw one last night in Lamar Jackson, who, as we saw him in the first game where we were on the next day uh, after the Hall of Fame game, showed flashes, showed why you would jump up and want to take that guy. Was uh, you know was flushed out of the pocket on that one play, was able to get six yards out of it, where most guys couldn't have gotten two. He is able to make things out of nothing, but he's also very much a quarterback in progress and he's just one of the five we've seen ups and downs from Mayfield we've seen that Sam Darnold is kind of what we thought he was I love the guy he was the guy I wanted first if it was me picking and I think he's going to be a star but he does have some Brett Favre in him he will throw an interception which is he will he will yes it absolutely is and Josh Rosen who you said on this show many times as a guest as well as when we've been hosting throws a fantastic looking football and that's kind of what we've seen so far in Arizona. And then there's Josh Allen. And Josh Allen looks like he could be okay. And he may have to be right out of the gate. We could see two starting quarterbacks in New York on week one that are rookies. And Eli Manning is not one of them. Like Eli's going to play for the Giants, which I don't know was a foregone conclusion all of last year. But now you've potentially got Sam Darnold 
and Josh Allen starting in the state of New York week one? Well, uh, Josh Allen's going to start. I mean, he's getting to start for the third preseason game, which is the biggest stress rehearsal of them all. You you, you end up um, game planning this week. You play a half at least, maybe a little bit more than a half. And so Josh Allen will get the nod there. But, you know, Josh Allen's played okay. Uh, people want to crown him. And, and I a lot of people get on me because I'm not very high on Josh Allen. And, look, we've seen many times. We saw last year Nathan Peterman was – the talk of the preseason in Buffalo after preseason. Let's just wait till the regular season, but he will start. I'm excited to watch him play uh, Ravens week one. That's going to be a tough defense to go against. We look with the Jets and Sam Darnold. He started game two. I believe he'll start game three. He'll start the season as the quarterback for the New York Jets. Josh McCown will probably be the backup. I, I assume, and I'll assume Teddy Bridgewater is getting traded because you don't need to keep – Two backups, and, and Bridgewater's played well enough where I think a team, especially a team with lacking quarterback depth, will want to maybe pull the trigger on trading for, for Teddy Bridgewater. And game four for him will be pretty important. He'll play a lot in game four, I would imagine. Um, swinging around, you know, the Browns, to me, they just they don't seem competent a lot of times. Um, well, Hard Knocks isn't making them seem more competent. Correct, and that's, and, and that's, you know, Hard Knocks, most often, Hard Knocks paints your organization in a great light. That's kind of the point of it, right? It's it is a feel good documentary. You start rooting for um, them. You start rooting for these right. guys who otherwise you wouldn't have either known nor cared about. Like Hugh Jackson, I think we all know Hugh Jackson's a good guy, but Hugh Jackson was sort of the star of the Bengals Hard Knocks years ago, right? And now you see him, and you see sort of things in his personal life, tragedy that hit him. And you see kind of how he operates and how he tries to deal with people. And you're like, I like Hugh Jackson. I hope Hugh Jackson wins football games, even though that dude's won one game in two seasons at the helm in Cleveland. Right. But look, you have to. And look, the personal things are obviously tragic. And I think we we understand that. What was really telling is, you know, he, he, he tells the staff that his mom passed away. And then he's like, goes right back two seconds later to watching film. Absolutely. It's just the way these guys are wired. And I, this is why. We hear all the time, and you know they want their players to be just as wired into football as they are, because coaches and front office you know, personnel. This is it's all they know, man. It's football. So I do, I don't understand. Well, I do understand. I think it's the wrong way to do it. Giving Baker Mayfield no reps to the ones makes no sense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not doing it for a couple reasons. One is because I, I think they want, they, they don't want Baker Mayfield to win the job at a camp because if he struggles the first couple of weeks, they can't bench him. You know, it just, you, you can't do it. You really can't do it. Once you put um, him out there, it's ride or die time. Right. And remember, they need, they, Hugh needs wins now to keep his job. And Tyrod Taylor probably provides him the best opportunity to win now as opposed to Baker Mayfield. And so while that might stunt the growth of Baker Mayfield, let's say, it allows the opportunity for Tyrod to win, and that keeps Hugh Jackson's job a little bit longer. However, I I just think they, they can't ride with, with Tyrod all, all season long. This is not an Alex Smith, Pat Mahomes, or a Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, which people want to to make the comparison because of John Dorsey was in, in Green Bay and he was in Kansas City. Now, he wasn't there all, all year last year. Those, those quarterbacks were on contending teams. The Chiefs won the division last year with Alex Smith. That's why Pat Mahomes wasn't playing. Now, they they you know, the Browns are not contending, um, 
and Baker Mayfield is the future of your franchise. So I don't I don't understand why you can't give him a couple reps with the ones during during training camp, during a game to see what he has. You're not hurting Tyrod's feelings. Was it Tyrod? Tyrod, right? Tyrod. I've um, seen it both ways now. I've seen this story written both ways that it's either Tyrod or actually it's Tyrod or actually it's Tyrod. This is not a Terrell Owens situation. This is not a Marcus Mariota situation where you hear it both ways. I've called him Tyrod since he was at Virginia Tech. Unless right. I see an interview where he specifically tells me to call him Tyrod, he is Tyrod Taylor. And what's and what's what's funny is um, you know, he's been at least his ninth year, I think, now. He's never corrected anyone on how to say his name, so that's why I think it's still Tyrod. This is an offensive yes. lineman who said it was Tyrod. Um so I, 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 I've been tweeting his name as Tarod just kind of to poke fun at the situation because I think, like you, I think it's it, it's probably Tyrod. Um, so every coach has been wrong, right? Every person who's ever interviewed him has been wrong. I just, you know, of course, I think he would correct someone eventually if, if someone had got his name wrong. So was again, it Clowney I think it's that a little tried bit of What was it? Devian Clowney that also tried this, where all of a sudden his name wasn't what you thought it was. The first year he was in the NFL, and he changed uh, it. And I think the um, NBA, poor Tom Thibodeau, no one understands the H is actually supposed to be pronounced. It's not Tom Thibodeau. Yet 99% of the time when you hear anyone say it, they say it wrong. The name is Thibodeau. Yeah, it's tough. Um, so, I think Clowney was the one, though. Well, like, I mean, even like Mike Stanton went to G, like he wanted his full yeah. name used eventually. Right. The guys just, I don't know. I think Ron, by the way, I think Meta World Peace is back to Ron Artest now. Oh, um, really? I think I saw that. This should have led the show. Like, I, I didn't realize this. I didn't realize he was back to being Ron Artest. To me, he was always Ron Artest. Oh, okay. I did not realize that. I mean, I never associated him as Meta World Peace. I'm sorry. I couldn't do I, I think it. I, saw I watched with Ron Artest for too long. With Michael Rapport, and he mentioned that he's back to being Ron Artest. Are we right, Danny? Danny yeah, Tony? he'll always be World Peace to me. Because he hit that. That's he hit not true, to, Danny. To, you don't, why is that? Because he was World Peace when he was in a Lakers uniform. Uh, no, he just he's a goofball kind of guy. So that's true. I don't see him as Ron anymore. I see him as World. His he mama had, called him um, Ron. I'm going to call him Ron. That's the Charles Barkley line. I'm sticking with that. Yeah, but his grandma calls him World. So. He had the, really? the, one of the one of the biggest one of the biggest like no 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 yes shots of all time in NBA history. I mean like he that shot to to win Game Seven of the NBA Finals yes. was oh oh nine. You're, you're like no 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 oh yeah he made it. like you just you, you <laughs> didn't think like you just didn't think he would he would make that shot and it was a great shot obviously if you're a Lakers fan if you're a Celtics fan I'm sorry um, and it, it it's just one of those I'll never forget it like the all you know like I forgot when Robert Ory raises up to take a three in in the playoffs you're like okay. He's gonna make this shot and run our test. You're like, no, please don't shoot it, and it went in. So we now I have forgot. a run our test is back. I forgot he actually won a ring there. Two. I had totally forgotten that. Yeah, he that's right. Two. Like I totally forgot that he actually won there. Like I always think when I think of Ron Artest, I think him with think of him with the Rockets, well, that wait, one Rockets? really good Rockets team that had like Patrick Beverly and all these irritants on it. And I mean, I remember that series with the Lakers, Danny. You remember this? The Lakers Rockets series where Artest was in Where's? Houston. That series was epic. Yeah. That was a tremendously physical series that I think it went 7-2. It was fantastic yeah, basketball that did, series. Yeah, that did go 7. But yeah, I forgot he won rings. And I did forget about that shot until you just said it, but now I remember it. It, it is definitely one of those all-time, like, this is the worst thing I've ever... Okay, he made it. Fantastic. Gra- gra- glad he shot that. <laughs> 
Yeah, and then Roberto just reminded me that he auctioned off his championship ring to help mental health awareness. Oh, well, now that's really good. Is that recent he did that? No, mental health is in the news now, so I was just wondering if that that was was like in response to. Yeah, that was back in the day because he's he's always been a little crazy, so that was back when it happened. Can you imagine watching an NBA Finals game now that was 83 to 79? That was 10 years ago. That that was the final score of a game 7 of NBA Finals, 83 Dude, to 79. Remember those like barn burners between the Pistons and the Spurs in like 2004? <laughs> 73 like, to, to 68 final of a score Dude, of a game. I w- I mean I would rather like have my eyes poked out than watch that. Like you can pull that off in football. Like I love the LSU Alabama you know, low scoring. Every once in a while. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, and then, of course, you turn to the other channel and you need to get the balance. So you go watch, like, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State last year where it's 61-58 or whatever it turned out to be. You kind of you kind of need a little bit of both. But NBA games that are played in the 70s, like, if that happens, I think that the coach and all of the starting five on both teams should probably be suspended by the league for a couple of weeks like you can't watch the golden state warriors and then go and think about let's go watch the big shot pistons led by ben wallace and chauncey billups where it's first to 65 wins like you can't you can't do that and you know that that was one of the most um unique teams to win a championship too just as far as we, we see a lot of nba champions have to have one or two Hall of Famers on there, and I'm not sure that they have a. Do they have a Hall of Famer on that team? From the Pistons team, the 04 mm, Pistons team. Did they have Rip Hamilton on that team? I, I don't think yes. he's necessarily a Hall of it Famer was either. Chauncey like, they, Billups, they had it. Rip Hamilton, Rasheed Wallace, and Ben Wallace were the four. Rasheed could maybe. Rasheed's probably the closest one, I would think. But I, I, that was just mainly a great system and a great collection of talent that played together as a team. And had to play together as a team. And they were all the guys that did all the extra stuff. Right. Nobody was a superstar, but nobody wanted to play like a superstar. They all did all the dirty work. Everybody did, and it, it ended up paying off for them. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. One of the guests that we've had since very, very early in the history of this show, our good friend Alex Marvez, who covers the NFL very, very well. Alex, how are you today? I'm doing great. And you know, you're, you're putting tears in my eyes here to see the ascension of Jason Martin. You know, to see your journey continue and all the incredible things you continue to do in both your professional and personal life, you make me proud to be your friend. I appreciate that, Alex. I really do. Um, Roberto, Andrew play the kiss up sound effect right now. Andrew yeah, Luck. Now I can Andrew deal with Luck, Jason's uh, big head all week. Yeah. Oh, it's Mitch, it's, it's, there it is. It's, wait, are you you're working with Mitch's brother again? Is that the oh, Yeah, I'm working oh, with Mitch's we're doing brother. This today? I like it. I'm working with the guy who had a cup of coffee for the uh, Detroit Lions before they sent him away <laughs> like during it. camp. By the, by the way, real quick on that, you have never seen Jeff Schwartz more tired in your entire life than when I interviewed him up at Lions camp when he was still playing. It's it, serious, like that. It was like day eighteen of camp or something. It, it, like I'm telling you, he's like wearing the, the sweatsuit, the, the lion sweatsuit, but it really looks like giant pajamas on him. You know, giant gray pajamas. And, and you, you were just—he was so beat up. And Jeff, you do it too, brother. It was, was like oh, was my last year, I was just visible. trying to get—I was trying to do the veteran, like get to week one and get my contract guaranteed, <laughs> right? And hopefully be a backup and just like do nothing all year. I, that year too. My wife wasn't in Detroit for training camp, so I grew my beard out and my hair just was like, just, I looked like a bum. It was, you're exactly right. I was just trying to do the veteran minimum for a year and call it a career. Um, 
but hey, now I'm on the radio with Jason Martin talking to you. So what could be better? He's exactly right about that. So Andrew Luck played football last night. He's played football now in two games, two fake games. Uh, has not thrown a deep ball yet, but Alex is somebody that loves the NFL as much as you do. We basically said in the first hour, the league's better with Andrew Luck playing in it, and it's just nice to see that guy back out on the field. He's a great guy, okay? But you know what that also means? He gets a pass for the media, <laughs> by and large. He really does. I mean, when you look at what Andrew Luck has done on the field, okay? And listen, I get it, the ascension of where he was able to help take this Colts team, but you have to, you have to realize in this past 24 games, and I'm talking playoffs and regular season, 27 interceptions, 6 fumbles. That's 33 turnovers in 24 games. Okay? The, the analytics show that any time that, you have, that your opponent ends up getting more interceptions in a game than you, then they usually win 80% of those games. I, mm. I want to take this one step further. Andrew Luck against the New England Patriots, all time. Okay? This is from 2012 to 2015. 0-5, 52.6 completion percentage. He has 10 interceptions, 1 fumble, 9 touchdowns. Now, all this being said, it's great that Andrew Luck is back, but I think we like the concept of Andrew Luck rather than the reality of Andrew Luck, which is that Andrew is a pretty darn good quarterback. He says all the right things. He smiles. He's a nice guy. But what are we really seeing here as far as upside? This was a guy drafted, supposed to be the, the, the quarterback prodigy that, you know, ever since Peyton Manning that the NFL has lacked. He's come in and he's done well. But as of late, I'm just wondering what I think happened. I think his development got tempered. I really do. And I, think, I blame the Colts organization for that. You know, working with Bruce Arians the first year was great. Then suddenly you, you start getting Pep Hamilton. You start getting Rob Chudzinski. You start getting Brian Schottenheimer. You get these guys that, that are just sort of average coordinators at best. And Andrew Luck's career goes down. I understand the supporting cast, the situation with running backs, receivers, whatever, offensive line, I get it. But to me, I'm happy that Andrew Luck is back, but I don't consider him an elite quarterback. I think he can get there with Frank Reich, but I'm not there on this. All right, so elite, where do you place him? Somewhere in the 10 to 15 range, probably? 15, 15, and maybe even a little bit on on the lower end of that. You know, I mean, he, he's good. And listen, I think that the hiring of Frank Reich is going to be tremendous. And, you know, look, could it, when he worked, if he would have worked with Josh McDaniels, would we see Andrew Luck reach heights that, you know, he has never hit before? We'll never know, right? Because Josh ain't coaching the Indianapolis Colts at this point, and I don't see these two guys working together again. But at least Frank Reich has been there and done that as a quarterback. He comes in with a newer type of offensive system that's nouveau for today's NFL. People still haven't figured out the RPOs and some of the tricky things that they've been doing, you know, at the Philadelphia Eagles that he helped with Doug Peters and you know put in to help the Eagles win that Super Bowl title but yeah he, he's he's around there I, I'd love to see him get back I'd love to see him elevate his game but you know what, what disturbed me last night when that, that interception that he threw near the goal line there was no reason for him to throw that football absolutely zero it was just a terrible decision a, ter- a terrible pass but an even worse decision and you know listen you're sixth seventh year in the league and I get it you're trying to shake off rust and you're playing at home for the first time in forever but it was just an awful decision and that's what worries me about Andrew Luck it's all of these turnovers it has to stop if he is ever going to get to be the type of great quarterback that that Andrew Luck has been projected to be so staying with that position one thing that's been fun this preseason maybe more so than years past is having a fleet of rookie quarterbacks that you're really curious to see how they look and it looks like a lot of the Maliks or sort of as advertised. I loved Sam Darnold in college. I thought he was the best. He was the guy I would have taken had I been number one. But you know that you're going to get some risky throws from him the same way you've got him from Andrew Luck at Stanford, and then it actually continued into the NFL, which is what we've just been talking about for the last five minutes. Rosen throws a good ball. Mayfield 
looks like he could make a lot of plays, and then sometimes it looks like his size could hamper him, and sometimes he's going to make mistakes also. Lamar Jackson, we saw flashes of brilliance in terms of his athleticism, getting six yards, being flushed out of the pocket when nobody else would have been able to do that. And then there's Josh Allen. And Josh Allen's going to probably start week one now, thanks to situations in Buffalo. And actually, watching him in this last preseason game, is it possible? I'm not surprised to find this out, but he's better than all the people that buried him before he was drafted. Like, he doesn't look like a bust to me right now. Right, right. And, well, I mean, you know, are his mechanics going to hold up? That's a lot of what it is with the quarterbacks, and they work with him on his footwork. And they, you know, you could say, well, why was he a 58% completion percentage passer at Wyoming? Was it the people that he was throwing to? He says that it was a technical flaw that he worked on with his quarterbacks coach during the offseason to correct, and, you know, before the draft. And so far, so good with that. And hopefully that continues. It's all his footwork. You know, where you got to have your feet going in the right direction to be able to deliver the football properly. We can make, I mean, his arm talent is so great. I mean, you know, listen, we see Patrick Mahomes throw the football 69 yards in the air, and you know, you, ooh, you know what I mean? But this kid can wing it as well. I mean, so that was neat. What I loved about the other night, too, was all the different situations that he got put in. He got put in goal line. He got put in two-minute, you know, and, and also had to face adversity after getting sacked a couple times early on. He kept his composure. You know, he started off so amped up, man. He, was, he threw the football so hard on his first pass, nobody was going to catch that ball. But he calmed down after taking a couple hits, and I give him a lot of credit for that. You listen, the, the problem you have with guys like Darnold right now and Josh Allen, a lot of it is a supporting cast. You know, who's playing around them? You know, I mean, at least Josh Rosen would have Larry Fitzgerald at his disposal, right, and David Johnson in the backfield. Mm-hmm. At Buffalo, the receiver position is awful. The Jets, they have the worst tight end situation in football. Pedestrian wide receivers, a very shaky offensive line. That's one of those things you have to ask yourself as a franchise. Do we throw this kid to the Wolves when we realize they may not have all the pieces around them for early success? But in the case of Buffalo, Josh Allen has proven himself. And, you know, by the way, too, now we know why no one was going after A.J. McCarron either. You know, remember, his name's always come up. Oh, you know, bench Andy Dalton, or oh, the Browns should have traded for this guy. Could you imagine if they gave up more picks for him? I mean, he just is hes a pedestrian quarterback in the NFL. It's one of the good things about Hugh Jackson having that personnel, not having a lot of say, is to avoid mistakes like that. Well, I'm glad you brought up the Browns because I was going there next. And, and maybe, you know, Saucy should get some credit for tearing up that trade before it was able to, to go through. <laughs> facts, Look, facts. I, I, I just... I think it's malpractice to not give Baker Mayfield reps with the ones at all during training camp. It makes no sense to me. You don't really know what he has unless you put him with the ones. Why are the Browns um, not allowing themselves to just see their number one pick play with the guys he might end up playing with by week five? Well, that's a great question. And here's pos- let me throw this possibility by you, right? You're Hugh Jackson, and you're 1-32. in You're 1-31 in and your past 32 games you realize that you probably have a one-year pass, and you need to win some games. You need to say, we've made progress this year, we're moving ahead. Early on in the season, playing Baker Mayfield, you're probably going to start off 0-4, 0-5. You know, maybe you beat the Jets in Week 3 on Thursday Night Football, and I know I've, I know I've got them circled on my calendar. Ugh. But the point is that you know, maybe you get that win, but again, you, the losing comes in, and it puts you on shaky ground. I think that the reason that they're, that they're stymieing Baker Mayfield a bit is to give Tyrod, to, you know, or Tyrod the, the, the chance to play early on and, and keep him as your starting quarterback, keep him solidified, and start winning some games, start changing the culture, get people to buy into it. 
what you're doing, you're not going to get that with Baker. I just don't think Baker can come in immediately and have success. So, they, you know, and, and look, they, get, they got Drew Stanton in there, too, as someone they may turn to before Baker Mayfield. But I'm with you. I'd love to see Baker get some reps with the one this, the ones this upcoming week. But I think that it's really because they're convinced that Terod Taylor gives them a chance to win early, get some things turned around so players continue to buy into what the, the assistant coaches are doing. And, and listen, it helps Hugh Jackson save his bacon, potentially winning a couple games because, again, a pivotal year for him in his, in his career in Cleveland. What's, what say, what's winning? What's, oh. Jeff, sorry, I mean, just before you move on, what is winning early in terms of Cleveland? Like Tyrod Taylor, we know what he can do in terms of he can win you seven, eight games. He can make sure you're not at the top of the NFL draft, basically. But what exactly is winning in Cleveland? Is that winning four games? Is that winning five games? Like what does Tyrod Taylor win you and how much should you expect if you're a Brett? Like, should that keep Hugh Jackson's job because he's got a veteran quarterback that's capable of winning four or five games and still keeping you nowhere near where you need to be? See, I'm not as down on Tarot. I, I really am not. He was a playoff quarterback last year. You know, he was. I mean, you know what I mean? He was he was nine and six as a starter. I mean, you, and you know, the the one game that he didn't play was because of Sean McDermott uh, going with Nate Peterman in one of the worst coaching moves you could possibly imagine. And Peterman throws five interceptions in the first half against the Chargers, and then goes back into mothballs. I mean, I, I think Tarot, what he does, he doesn't turn the football over, and he's never had a, a cast like this that he has right now. Uh, with the Cleveland Browns. And I, that's scary to say, right? But, I mean, Jarvis Landry is legit. Josh Gordon, once he's out there on a field, if he just stays sober and he stays and he's in an okay place with his mental health, then, I mean, you're talking an elite-level wide receiver right there. Those running backs out of the backfield, the combination you have, Chubb, Duke Johnson, I mean, Carlos Hyde, and an offensive line that makes a whole lot of coin and has actually survived the loss of Mitch Schwartz at this point, I, I think this team, he's got some weapons to work with, David and Joku. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, you know, promising young guy as long as he sticks on the jugs machine. I guess my point is that Tarad's never had a group of guys like this around him. Just think of him like this. He's Alex Smith. It's really what he is. John Dorsey got it. He's Alex Smith. He's not going to turn the football over. And your team, if he doesn't, if he doesn't turn the ball over, you're going to have a chance to win a bunch more games than what you have if you have Baker Mayfield playing, which is probably two turnovers a game. Let's go with the quarterback position. Outside of the rookies, it feels like the biggest story is Teddy Bridgewater. He seems finally healthy. He's playing really well. To me, it feels like a great trade piece for someone who needs a reliable backup, maybe even someone who needs a, a starter. Where, where's his market at as we head into the, the back end of the preseason? It's really slim right now. And, and you know, it's, it's, so we look at the teams that have bad quarterback situations, right? The Denver Broncos. I don't, you know, they just invested in Case Keenum. I don't think they're going to send a draft pick for Teddy Bridgewater. I think, if anything, they would probably hope that a Matt McGloin gets weighed by Kansas City and you can bring Bill Musgrave Grave can bring him in because he knows the offense from his time with the Raiders. I don't, I don't think anyone's trading for a backup. Does that make sense? Like, if there's an injury, yeah, maybe a team will make a move with their starter. You see what I'm saying? That yeah. if their starter gets hurt. But I think for right now, Teddy's sort of in limbo. And, you, you know, you play this morbid game where you just see, okay, who's hurt? And if we lose our quarterback, okay, do we call the Eagles on Nick Foles? Do we call the Jets on Teddy Bridgewater? And, and, and go from there. It's, listen, it's great that he's back. And this is someone, too, who may have some appeal in 2019 as a free agent. Uh, you know, if he sticks with the Jets all season, even if he doesn't play a heck of a lot, people have seen what he's done this preseason and say, man, Teddy Bridgewater, this is a guy who can compete for a starting job for our spot. Even if it's considered a potential bridge quarterback, if it's a team drafting a guy and they want to you know, make sure that there's someone ahead of him that's a veteran, maybe that's it. But it, it's just been great for a guy who almost had his leg amputated, and I'm not joking here. I mean, he was that yeah, he was did. how bad his knee was. To see him back on the field has been absolutely awesome. 
Well, the story that's dominating most of the preseason, and I might be the only person who's not freaking out about this, is the new helmet rule. We've seen it applied very liberally, which is not surprising for the preseason, considering this is what happens with every new rule of emphasis. They apply it liberally in the preseason. We already see a meeting set up on Wednesday within the NFL to discuss how they're applying this rule, and they might make some changes uh, to it, which is what I expected to happen all along. Where do you sit on kind of the, the freak out about the new helmet rule? Well, because if, if these things are called this way, it, it's, you know, a lot of fans are, you know, because I don't think every NFL fan is paying attention right now. You know what I mean? Like mainstream fans, yeah, they'll, they'll tune in for a few minutes of preseason, but they're not watching in the third and fourth quarters when, when this thing's getting called. You know what I mean? It's, it's that type of deal where I think as time goes on, a couple things are going to happen. I think, like you say, there'll be a couple tweaks to what this is, and this is a teaching time. We don't have developmental football. The NFL does, you know, they shelved NFL Europe a decade ago. Go. This is the type of thing that you would have put in during a developmental league and had some of the officials work on it potentially to see, okay, this is how we do it for real. But because the NFL doesn't have that, they've got to use the preseason. This is, this is the NFL's Petri dish, so to speak, right, uh, to, to experiment with the rules and things like that. So, you know, what they'll do is it's a teaching tool not only for players, some of whom are, you know, violating the spirit of the rule or violating the rule in general by leading with their helmets. Uh, and, of course, all this stems from Ryan Chazier. We, we realize this, that if it weren't for Ryan Chazier nearly killing himself out there on a football field last year, which is really, you know, bad optics for the league when people get paralyzed on the field or potentially die, they knew that they wanted to make a change safety-wise. So, uh, you know, and of course the publicity that comes with concussions and, and trying to convince youngsters that football right. is safe to play, thing, all these things that go into this type of decision. So I think it will continue to get tweaked. It's not only a teaching tool for the players, though, for the officials as well. And listen, right now, throw flags, ask questions later, they review it. They're going to tell some of these officials, hey, this isn't a foul, or you can, you can let that one slide, that type of thing. And then when we get to the regular season, there might be a couple bumps early on. I'm just hoping by the end of the year we're not having critical games decided by this type of call. Well, I, th- I think to your point about you know the reaction from Ryan Shazier, I mean, a, a report came out yesterday that 10,000 fewer youths are playing football in Southern California the last two years. I mean, that's, that's part of this is you have to um, – you need the young players and, and the moms yeah. to want their kids to play football. And if they think the sport is going to harm their, their sons, they're not going to let them play. And I, and I think that people don't understand that that's kind of part of this new rule. And that's why they're calling it so strictly to start out is to give it a heads up guys. We're serious about this rule. And I think half the time though, it feels like, and we saw last night, you know, Colts player, speared a guy in the back of the head and another guy like went low and, and speared a guy like it's it's being applied I think most of the time how they want it to be applied exactly I think you're absolutely right about that and you know the the NFL also too liability okay we're talking about are these current generations of players are they going to say well the NFL didn't do enough to protect us so I'm going to file a lawsuit against you and you know the the league is still supposed to be paying out more than a billion dollars in settlements uh, to players that have, have suffered from brain trauma that wasn't properly diagnosed back you know decades earlier or even you know not even all that long ago. So right, right. It, right. So this is the, this is really for the sport's survival as much as anything. And the league thinks that ultimately players will learn, they will re-educate themselves toward tackling. And I will say this: remember how it was about what eight nine years ago when they really started to legislate against those helmet hits to the, you know upper hits to the upper body. We've really seen a reduction in those, but 
They want to take it one step further now. Let's see how this goes this season. I'm just hoping for safer players. I don't like talking to guys 15, 20 years from now you know, that, that don't remember what they did, if you know what I'm saying. And we've seen too much of that in this league. It's for player safety. And I know people are outraged, but, you know, again, they, they consider these guys fungible. You know, that's why when you hear fans booing like they did last night in Indianapolis every time the helmet rule was called, these are human beings on the field. And sometimes we have a tendency to forget about that. They have families. They want to live healthy lives once they're done playing. Let's put them in the best position to accomplish those things. Amen to that. And well said, Alex. Always great to have you with us. We will talk to you next week. And it's good. I'm glad I'm in so I could actually say hello to you this week. Awesome stuff. Thank you, gentlemen. Be good. Take care. That's Alex Marvez. Extremely well said there at the end. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. I said that Brett McMurphy had done a radio interview this morning and said something fairly provocative. This is what he said, quote, What I find there to be very troubling is that Ohio State is using a verbal recap of their investigation so that nothing will be available via public records. I give credit to Maryland, who's on record, saying they will be transparent in their investigation. That from Brett McMurphy this morning. The uh, investigative committee will present their findings to the Board of Trustees tomorrow. We'll find out Thursday or Friday that Urban Meyer probably has time served. Maybe they give him a couple of games. He'll be back there by TCU. The whole thing stinks. The whole thing's been a sham. We've known this from the very beginning, really. Certainly after that statement came out and they set up this investigative committee, we basically knew what was coming. Let's end with a couple of phone calls here. We have David in Indiana. He's first here on Fox Sports Radio. David, good morning. I was just I was just kind of wondering how how Ohio State's going to handle the Me Too movement. I don't so. think they'll handle it at all. I don't know. What are you saying? Uh, I, I, I think definitely a road games, whenever they play on the road, the Me Too movement is going to be there if they don't fire him. Yeah, I mean, they deal with hecklers all the time. I don't think this is... I don't there think will be hecklers. The, the, There'll be a lot of hecklers. Right. I don't think they're going to to make the decision matter. based off of the reaction of visiting fans and how many people might pick it outside their stadium. Yeah, I don't I don't take it that way either. I, and the Me Too movement is a little bit different than this situation. I mean, Zach Smith's the one that Me Too would be coming after more so than anything else. It just I think that the heckling coming after Urban Meyer is going to be coming no matter what. And I feel like Ohio State is prepared for that because they want to win football games. That's that would that would be my opinion there. Paul in Pennsylvania next. Paul, what's up? Hey, how you doing? Thanks for Good. having me on. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. Um, I don't think that Urban Meyer is going to get fired just because he will get picked up almost immediately by a competitor. I I I think that they know that some AD from another college will be like, well, I know Urban Meyer. You know, he had these transgressions, but he's going to start a new here. And they're going to have to – Ohio State's going to have to compete against Urban Meyer for the next 10 years. They, they're not going to do it. Do you imagine if okay. Harbaugh got fired after the season, if he had a bad year oh, and they brought no. in Urban Meyer? <laughs> oh, I never thought about that. I don't, I don't think they're going to not fire him for that reason, but um, that would be fabulous. That would be fabulous for college football if that and twist of a fate happened. Oh, my God. How great would that be, Jason? Uh, I mean, that rivalry already just, I mean, it would go to nuclear proportions at that point. I do think Harbaugh needs to go back to the NFL, though. Just a personal you know, but opinion his sti- on that. Dude, his style, though, I tell you, his style of coaching fits college football better because 
kids get to leave after a couple of years. <laughs> He's yeah, the so, control that wears them that wears on yes, everybody. Like I I went to visit him when he was in San Francisco as a free agent. It was in 2012. I visited three teams. He was the last of the three. And I grew up a Niners fan, so it would be great to play in San Francisco. Um, but man, I met with him, and he is just so intense that I was like, I just I can't do it, man. Like I just I, it just. <laughs> It's so, 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 this is like in, in March, like early March. And he could tell he was so fired up. I thought to myself, what's it going to be like when he actually like is in the thick of the season? Um, intense, man. And I, I play with, I play with Tom Coughlin. I love Tom Coughlin. So maybe I would have liked Jim Harbaugh too. Um, but I just remembered coming away like, man, this guy is intense. And he told me that Sundays, where like you just so stressful for him that he didn't really enjoy it very much. And I love Sundays. That's what I played for. I mean, I, I would have, if every day could be Sunday, it would have been fantastic. Um, and so I get it. Coaches in general, by the way, and this is, might be something that people don't like, they don't like the games really because it's, it's so stressful for them because they can't compete. They can only set their players up for success. They have to call the plays. The players have to execute. Um, and they just take a lot of personal, accountability toward the way their unit plays. And I've talked to a lot of coaches about that. A lot of them are just completely stressed out on Sundays. Mark in Arizona next year on Outkick. Mark, what is up? Hey, guys. Love your show, man. I listen every day. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, Clay was talking the other day about, uh, and you guys might have brought it up too, that uh, Courtney Smith was persuaded to not press charges Yes. Um, in the domestic violence. In Arizona, if the police respond to your house for a domestic violence call, they take both people into custody, and the and the county that they're in decides whether or not to press charges. They don't have a choice of uh, pressing charges. It's out of their hands. Once they've called the police for domestic violence, it's up to the state or the county to uh, to press charges or not. They don't have a choice. Um, you know, so I don't know about you know, what state she was in when, when this happened, but it was in Florida. You know, there, yeah, there's, there's no, there's no option here to, uh, you know, if the police come, they're taking both people into custody, and then they're going to figure it out, and uh, you have no choice as to whether or not charges are pressed. Right. Uh, I, would, I mean, that, I, I, I don't know, know what the, I don't the know the, the statutes in Florida. I do know that Courtney Smith made it pretty clear. Uh, in the past several weeks before she spoke to the Board of Trustees or the Investigative Committee, rather, last week, that she tried to file charges in Ohio numerous times and didn't understand why that never happened. That's another one. There's a lot of weird things surrounding this story, from the committee to what McMurphy said this morning, we that might never there's get not the going to full... be anything via public records. And we'll never get the full story. No. Not at all. So people are going to believe what they want to believe about this situation. But what we can go ahead and tell you, and we will continue to talk about this throughout the week, is that Urban Meyer is not leaving Ohio State and probably may not be suspended. If he is, it won't be more than two games. He'll be back on the field against TCU. And isn't that a feel-good story? Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. 
product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love Selena? Like, really love Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stan the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. 